Hello, and welcome to the Heaven Bound Podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and we are opening the Bible in search of fuel for your spiritual journey. This is where we talk about life the way it was meant to be and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Wherever you are, thanks for joining us on the journey today. We welcome all of our listeners and glad you could be with us. This month, we're looking at some lessons from Matthew chapter 5, what we call the Beatitudes. We're looking at the quality of heart. When we look at these, as Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, he began with these blessings or happiness, as someone would call them. Uh, and there are a series of statements, eight statements that Jesus makes that talk about the heart. And as we look at them, it looks like they naturally fall into two categories. One of them is what we call the qualities of the heart. And that would be the poor in spirit. That would be those who mourn. That would be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and those who be pure in heart. That, that has nothing to do with anyone else. It's just me and God, my relationship with God. But then it seems like some of these beatitudes go in another category, and that's what we call the demonstration of the heart. It's how we use those to treat other people. That would be gentleness. That would be merciful. That would be peacemaker. That would be how we treat others who have persecuted us. And so in this, Jesus has really kind of given us both sides of the picture here. Here's what your heart needs to look at in a relationship with God. And from that, this is how your heart treats other people. Now, last week, as we began this little series, we talked about the poor in spirit. That, again, has nothing to do with your bank account, your 401, how big your house is. It's about the bankruptcy or the poverty of spirit based upon sin. Today, we move on to talk about the second one in this list, and that is in verse 4 of Matthew 5. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And, and as we've been saying, it seems like these are not just random statements that Jesus just kind of took off the top of his head. One seems to lead to the other. And so today, what we want to talk about, Jason, is the mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Right out of the bat here, let's understand this has nothing to do with cemeteries, funeral homes, crying because mama died, or any of that. This is not about a funeral. This is about a death within us. It's because of our sin. I've heard this used multiple times at funerals, and I think you're missing it. It has nothing to do with the funeral. It's not about those who who are crying because someone has died. This has a connection to the one before about poor in spirit. It has to do with our relationship with God and sin. Yeah, I because my spirit is poor and needy, and I recognize that, I would suggest this this beatitude is kind of what gets me looking behind and asking humbly, how did I get where I am? Uh, perhaps I am in the middle of a, a mess of my own making, a mighty stormy mess, and I open my eyes because of poverty of spirit and I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge I have made a mess of things. And now the next step is to have this awareness grow within me that 
I am the one responsible for this, right? We could recreate this over and over again. Maybe the classic example is David, his confrontation with the prophet Nathan. David has taken another man's wife, engineered that man's murder. God sends Nathan the prophet. And what does the, the prophet do? He opens David's eyes and cuts him to the heart. That's exactly what happens uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Spirits are shown to be just how needy they are. You, you have crucified the Son of God that God himself has made both Lord and Christ, and they are cut to the heart, and they ask, what shall we do? And so this is mourning on many different levels, right? I mean, we could say, well, I'm, I'm mourning over the state of the world. I'm mourning over the impact of sin in the world. But as you've highlighted, at the front line, at the epicenter of it all is, I am mourning over my own sin. And, you know, and, and what you see in this is the idea of regrets. You know, it, it's one thing for someone to say, well, yeah, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, well. But here's someone who, who sees the damage, whether it's a relationship with God or he's hurt other people, and now there's a sense of remorse. There's a sense of sorrow. There's a mourning over that. He has done wrong, and he recognizes that. And, and I think this really leads to the second step when we think about our sins. It's one thing to acknowledge it. Uh, there's a lot of people who won't even get there. You know, they, they won't acknowledge what they did is wrong. They, they will justify it. They'll find an excuse. They hide behind it. They blame others. And so I, you know, they will not admit that I have done wrong. But from that, the next natural step, spiritual step, not only is acknowledge that you've done wrong, but it's your reaction to that. And, and Jason, two, two common things we hear so often today is when we talk about the subject of sin, people saying, number one, well, everybody does wrong. Yeah. And what does that speak to what we just read here in this beatitude? Well, <laughs> it's kind of like if you were ever playing, you know, with a big group of boys, let's say, as as a bunch of little kids and somebody knocks a vase over and, you know, I would much rather everybody get attention than just me, right? If we're going to get in trouble, let's all get in trouble together. Let's spread the trouble out as if the trouble is a, a lump of butter and the the thinner we're able to spread it, the less serious it is. No, it's I am responsible. I am accountable. And yes, I live in a world that sin has ravaged, but just because sin is dispersed does not mean it is not infinitely and eternally serious on my own personal account. And I think part of getting to that point is, you know, acknowledging and speaking the language that God does about sin. Yeah. You know, we, we sometimes will say, well, it was a mistake. I wasn't on my A game today. You know, I, I was off today. I just wasn't myself. Those are nice, polite little words. Uh, but God uses words like iniquity, transgression, yeah. uh, abomination, powerful words that demonstrate this idea of what we've done to sin. And I think one, one area that we don't think about when we sin, we always kind of look at 
you know, sin toward us. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. But, Jason, what does sin do to God? Yeah, well, it creates, Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2, a separation between me and God. And a lot of times we will think about that purely from the impact that this has on me, but especially our Old Testament prophets. I think of all the sections of the Bible, maybe the prophets give us the clearest window into how my choice to sin, yes, it impacts me in a devastatingly negative way, but it hurts the heart of God. It makes God grieve, which is why he is calling us to grieve. Not, not to be like, you know, you, you mentioned the idea of mistakes. Uh, it is almost comical how uh, you, you've got a politician who gets caught doing something wrong and their spokesman will make a statement like mistakes were made. Uh, a corporation uh, really steps into a mess and a large press release gets sent out. And what's the line? Mistakes were made. But when God talks about this separation, the impact on his heart and the impact on our souls, it is so much more serious than I made a bad mistake. Yeah, you know, and, and growing up here in Indiana, uh, and you uh, grew up in Indiana as well, we you know often played pickup basketball yeah. and you get the teams all lined up and you play and unlike playing in, in high school, particularly college, you know, when you, you bump somebody, you call a foul. A lot of times when you're playing a pickup game of basketball, you have this little underlying rule. If there's no blood, there's no foul. Okay. <laughs> Unless there's some visible damage, we're not, we're not going to stop the game for every little bump and every little thing. And I think that's a lot of people look at sin. Unless somebody somehow really got hurt, uh, it's okay. Uh, I, I didn't hurt anybody by doing this, but what you're saying to us is it hurts God. Yeah. Every single sin hurts God. And when we start coming to that realization, that'll make us mourn. That'll make the God who made us, who made us forever, who made us to live a special way when we walk away from him and sin, it's as if we slap God in the face and said, you don't matter to me. And that ought to hurt us and cut us deep in our hearts. Yeah, I mean, that is, if you want a, a face and a situation to attach to that dynamic, I I don't know a better place than the very end of Matthew chapter 23, where the Son of God, after three years of patiently reasoning with hard-hearted people. He approaches Jerusalem, and, and you just listen to his language. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. They are rich in spirit, refusing to mourn over the seriousness of their situation. It is the exact opposite 
of the first two Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, and and it takes us back to uh, a statement David made in Psalms 51 where he says, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. So a heart that's broken is a heart that's mourning. It's a heart that's sorrowing. Uh, why, why do I have a broken heart? You know, we think about uh, two uh, teenagers dating and they break up and one has a broken heart. Well, the broken heart here is about sin and coming to that understanding that I have done wrong, and now I recognize that, I realize that, and that makes me feel bad. Now, the second part of this statement, this beatitude says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What, yeah. What's that mean? Well, I... Again, I it helps me to attach a, a face or a person or collection of people to understand principles like this. It makes me think of Second Corinthians chapter seven. Obviously, it comes after First Corinthians, where Paul has some really strong things to say about a handful of very serious situations. One of those we know, First Corinthians chapter five, a man was living in open sexual immorality. God calls for him to be disciplined. Paul calls for him to be disciplined, calls for the church to act. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you just listen to this language, verse 8, how, how it ties to blessed are those who mourn. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. What do we need to do? What What is the Bible call for when we recognize we're cut to the heart by our sins? We need to repent. You felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death and what does paul go on now to do to to call this church to do for this one that has turned away from his sins he's he's become poor in spirit he's mourned now paul is calling the church to comfort him right comfort is a huge word in second corinthians chapter 7 paul was comforted by the coming of titus and he he goes on in verse 13 to talk about how we are comforted and he wants this repentant sinner to be comforted because ultimately god's desire is not to hold lightning bolts over our head right now. We talked about on Wednesday, the good and the evil are going to come out of the tombs. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But from cover to cover, God's revealed heart is he's mourning not simply because we've embarrassed him or he doesn't know what to do with our mess. He's mourning because he, like that father of the prodigal, wants us to come home and be comforted. And so that comfort comes in salvation and that comfort comes in Jesus Christ. That's yeah. how we're comforted. Yeah. You know, so, sometimes uh, we two people will 
come up to each other and maybe one person has, has talked out a line and, and he'll apologize to the other person. I'm, I'm sorry I said this about you. And the other person responds by saying, well, that's okay. No, it's not okay. And, and, and that's not what we're reading here. Uh, blessed are those who mourn because it's okay. No, it's not okay. Not a big deal. <laughs> it, it is a big deal. You have sinned. And something has to be done with that sin. And what's going to be done is that Jesus would be sent and Jesus would die on the cross. And there's where the spiritual comfort comes into. So it, it's, you know, the, the, the passage really has two sides to it. There's a dark side, and that is when we realize what we have done, it ought to bring sorrow to us. Uh, we, we ought to feel sorrowful. Um, I think the Lord's Supper has a side to that. You know, we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday, but we remember that death. Why did he die? Because I had sinned, because I caused that. But then the, the, the light side, the positive side of this is God doesn't say, okay, you know, you messed up or you sinned. Fix it. No. We can't fix it. He sends Jesus, and that's how we will be comforted. And so, you know, the sorrow becomes happiness and joy. The mourning becomes rejoicing, and that comes about through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Roger, don't you think this is a principle that we need to learn first at home? I I am afraid that in far too many homes— we have a mom and a dad who won't impress upon growing hearts the seriousness of consequences for my actions, the, the, the consequences that come as a result of my choice. In fact, I'm sure you have. I have seen where uh, you know, maybe in a Bible class, you've got a, a, a rambunctious child that needs to be called down. There's some lessons that need to be learned. And so maybe the teacher desperately goes to mom or dad and, and says, listen, this, this is a disruption to the class. This is not a good thing. And mom and dad immediately go into attack mode defending the child and then we wonder as teenagers and young adults why that child struggles to feel poverty of spirit and mourning over bad choices absolutely you know there, there was a time uh this is true when i was growing up that if you got trouble at school you, when you went home well you really got trouble. you got in more trouble at home <laughs> but but today you get in trouble at school mom and dad call the attorney and off they go to the school and they're yeah. going to sue uh th- there's no there's no responsibility there's no accountability and that that does not help a person out when we think our little child is a darling he's an angel and really is a devil and so uh, we, we do no one any good. And so some of the great lessons we learn is that we need to have tears in our eyes for the wrongs that we do. And that will lead us to better behavior. They'll lead us to seek Jesus. And when we just kind of whitewash everything and say, well, it wasn't that bad and, and it'll be okay, uh, it's not okay. And 
that that never gets to this this place where Jesus wants us to be. Because without the mourning here in verse 4, some of the things that's going to come out a little bit later on, particularly in verse 6, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, that will not be found. Because if I'm not mourning for my sin, yeah, yeah, I did something I shouldn't have done. You know, everybody does something. And and I don't think anything bad about it. I'm not going to have this desire to be right because I already think I am right. So one leads to the other. And this spirit is important for us to see as Jesus is introducing this in his great sermon to this great crowd to understand that this is something that those who get to that point there are they are blessed it's a blessing to feel that way because that will lead to production and that will lead to where god wants you to be we look at this as opposite blessed are those who are happy blessed are those who never feel bad and that never leads to change as god wants us to yeah i mean you mentioned psalm 51 um it is incredible to me uh, how David calls it what it is. I mean, he, he calls it unclean. He calls it sin. He calls it iniquity. He calls it transgression. But before he's done, he's able to pray with all of his heart to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's exactly what this blessed statement is all about. Incredible statements of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Lord willing, next Friday, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Heaven Bound podcast. Could I just share real quick a recent review that uh, that we got of the Heaven Bound podcast on Apple Podcasts? Uh, you can leave reviews on a wide variety of platforms. This one recently caught my eye. Uh, her name is Michelle. And Michelle shared with us, I got so much out of your James in June series. Thank you for making it so practical and easy to understand. This is my favorite podcast to listen to on my way to work. You help me get my mind mentally ready for the challenges of the day. Thanks for the encouragement. Michelle, thank you for the encouragement of of that good feedback. We really, really appreciate it. And whomever you are, we hope that our conversation has helped you set your mind on things above, giving you a little more fuel for the journey. Always remember, when you're walking with Jesus, you're heaven bound and the best is yet to come.